0: Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from his holy word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit. You can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that, and you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Good to be in the house of the Lord, to worship the Lord with you, you know uh, we as I said earlier, I wish that we were through this time and we could gather as an entire church and and yet this is so much better than just talking to a camera as it was for a while, and so it is good to be here with you' all. You know life can take us many different directions, and uh, one of the, the struggles that that a lot of people have in life is finding purpose in life and finding direction and meaning. And ultimately, uh, every decision we make oftentimes will take us down a different path. It may postpone uh, other things we want to do or it may exclude other things that we want to do. The truth is you cannot do everything at once. And in fact, you can't do everything and be there for everybody. I was having a uh, discussion yesterday with Bianca after uh, the mary balog 's uh, Funeral service Memorial Service, and uh, we were talking about how bianca and greg 's lives are about to go through a drastic change. Uh, they have been young professionals with freedom to travel and have traveled to many places around the world and, and you know they 're excited about the birth of twins that are coming, but they also recognize that their lives are going to change and, and I said, you know susan and i didn 't quite face that same thing because we you know, got married very young uh, when we first started college. Had children very young, and and made a decision we wanted to have our kids young. Now, one of the reasons we made that decision was because we thought if we have our kids young, they'll be out of the house by the time we turn fifty, and you know we'll be able to do whatever we want then. And we're still working on that. But uh, for Greg and Bianca, they they're going to go through a big change because they've they've made the decision to get married a little bit later and have their kids later. And it, all of our our those decisions, uh, you, they, they exclude other things. For instance, you cannot live a, a single life of you know footloose and fancy free and be married also. If you decide one thing, you can't do the other. Because you can't do everything at once. Well, John, when he writes his gospel had all kinds of directions he could go, all kinds of avenues. John was one of the disciples who was closest to Jesus. He was not only one of the 12, he describes himself as the beloved disciple. He also is one of the three who were closest to Jesus in kind of the inner core. John was listed in the name uh, in that group with James, his older brother, and also with Peter. Uh, We see them as the inner core of the disciples for a lot of reasons. One in particular is when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, it was those three disciples that he took with him when he came close to the time of his crucifixion and he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of the disciples, they all went with him, all 11, and uh, Yet three disciples he asked to go further with him up the mountain and gave them some specific request to pray for. And those three disciples were Peter, James, and John. And so John had all kinds of avenues that he could go. But John wrote his gospel, his story of Jesus, with a particular purpose and particular direction. And we're going to get into that. Today what I wanted to do with this extra week To introduce John to you before we jump into John chapter one next week, is to look at the purpose for which John wrote his gospel, and that is found in John chapter twenty verses thirty and thirty-one. Many scholars will refer to this as John's thesis statement. Uh, As I begin to work on my uh, my Ph.D. dissertation. working with Darren. Darren uh, Biles is known as being very hard on students and making sure they get their thesis correct. Because once you nail down your thesis, it's going to guide what you put in your paper and what you don't put in your paper. It is going to control and constrain the direction of your research. John had a particular thesis, a particular purpose for which he wrote this gospel. Now I want you to understand that it is different than the three synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more historical in nature. In particular, Luke comes out and just flat tells us. He said, I have searched out eyewitnesses. I've done everything I can to give you a historical chronological account of Jesus's life. John didn't do that. John's is a thesis. Now, for instance, let me tell you where that matters. And we'll find as we work through the Gospel of John over the next several months that it matters for a lot of reasons. But one area that it really matters is if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, and they have a particular order of events in John's, uh, in Jesus' life. And John seems to take that same event, he may talk about the same Miracle, the same healing, whatever it happens to be, and he puts it in a different chronology. I wanna encourage you that that does not mean that John was wrong. What it means is John had a different purpose. He included that event to make a point, not put it in a particular chronology. So if, you, if there's a chronological question about when did Jesus flip over the table, so to speak, The first place to look for that, to decide that in the historical context, is Luke, not necessarily in John's gospel. John includes that in a different place, but he does it for a very particular purpose, a particular reason. So it's important for you to understand that, that John, John writes a thesis, not a historical account. Now that doesn't mean that it's not historically accurate. What John writes is accurate. It's accurate stories about Jesus' life and ministry. John was there. John saw it with his own eyes, but he chose particular stories and put them in a particular order to prove something, to to accomplish his thesis. So read with me this thesis and, and it'll help you understand a little bit more of what I'm getting to. In verse 30, the scripture says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So John comes right out and says, there's a whole lot more I could have written. And in fact, uh, over in chapter 21, John goes on to say that if I had written everything Uh, that could be written about Jesus. The world could not contain the books of all the things that Jesus did. And so John, right here at the beginning of his thesis statement, says, there's a lot of other signs that Jesus performed. There's a lot of other things that Jesus did that I could write about, but I have chosen these to make a point. You know, I've been taught that, and I don't always do it well, but I've been taught that that's one of the important aspects of constructing a good sermon don't include everything. Because <laughs> if you come and you lay everything out there, we could be here for a couple hours talking about this. And so I have to choose what I'm going to bring to you out of my studies to make the point that I believe the text makes and that God's leading me to communicate to you. And so John does just that. John chooses particular things, particular signs, particular events of Jesus' life, to, to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose uh, first of all, these, these signs are going to point to who Jesus is. So what is it that we need to believe? What is it that John is trying to help us believe? The first thing that John wants us to believe and understand is that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus is the Christ is what John tells us here in, uh, in Greek, but it's that, that word Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so, when you see the, the in the New Testament, the word Christ or the word Messiah, oftentimes they are—it's uh, an editor's choice, what they, uh, the, the translator's choice, which word they chose to use, because it means the same thing. It is God's promised Savior, His promised Messiah, whom He sent to accomplish His purposes. This is the the one whom God promised all the way back in Genesis chapter three when John said, I will send one who is a, gonna be from the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. And so this is the promised Messiah that we see all throughout the Old Testament. You see it in the imagery. You see it in, in, in God's direct proclamations. You see the Messiah expressed through the prophets as God promised through the prophets that he was gonna send someone. One of the, best, or, 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 one of the places that you see that is in Isaiah. In particular, you see a lot of these messianic prophecies as I, Isaiah verse 35. This is a good example for us because it's a, it, these are some of the signs that, Jesus, that John chose to say about Jesus. John in, in Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. Isaiah says, he will, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. And so Isaiah, when he speaks of the Messiah coming, this promised one whom God is going to send, he specifically says that God is going to cause the blind to see. He's going to cause the deaf to hear. He's going to cause the mute to speak. And he's going to cause those who have been paralyzed and unable to walk to be able to get up and leap like deer. Those are some of the very signs that John chose so that we might know that Jesus is the Messiah. And so the the purpose that John writes that, that he includes particular signs is so that we might understand that Jesus is the promised one. The one who came to fulfill God's very prophecies and God's very promises from the Old Testament. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. But he also, John also wants us to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is in his very essence, God himself. John, more than any other book of the New Testament, certainly more than than even the Gospels, wants us to understand the deity of Christ. And John doesn't leave any questions about his understanding that Jesus is God. From the very first verse of John In John chapter 1, verse 1, John begins his gospel not with the birth narrative or not with a historical account of the genealogy of Christ or with John the Baptist. John begins his gospel with these words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John doesn't say that the Word was a God, he doesn't say the Word was the God. He says the Word was God. Now, I've had uh, Jehovah's Witness come to my door, and, uh, especially when, when I was pastoring in May. We had uh, For one year, we had them come pretty regularly until they got tired of, of trying to argue with me, or, or, or got tired of me witnessing to them, essentially. But... The first group that came, uh, they of course they don't believe that Jesus was God, that he was fully God. They believe that he was a God, and in a way, each of us can, can be a God. And so uh, they wanted to discuss that from their translation, or even from the King James. And they asked me what version I use, and I said, well, if we wanna study, I'd like to sit down and look at this in the Greek text with you. And they really didn't wanna do that they wanted to use the, the New World Translation because the New World Translation, their translation had uh, translated John 1.1 1, 1 as saying in the beginning was uh, the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God. They included the indefinite article in the New World Translation. Ultimately, the language there does not support how they translate that. And yet, that little technical issue really doesn't matter because John, in his gospel, sets out from verse one, chapter one, to put on display that Jesus is God. And one of the ways he does that is through the I am statements that he uses throughout the gospel. And I just want to look at one of those for time's sake. As I said, I got to choose like John did. Uh, one of the, the, all throughout the, the gospel of John, you'll see Jesus say, I am. And the, the, the expression that he uses, the Greek expression, ego, I, me, is a forceful declaration of I am. Now, sometimes the I am statements have predicates. And so it clouds whether or not Jesus is identifying himself with the I am of the burning bush from the Old Testament or whether he is simply saying I am such and such. For instance, uh, Jesus tells the woman at the well, I am the living water. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of the world. But there's one instance in particular that leaves no question. In John chapter 8, Jesus enters into a discussion with Jewish leaders. And in that discussion, uh, he begins to make some declarations. And they say, well, how could you know that? Or how could you say that? Uh, you know, our father Abraham did such and such. And, and, and he's dead. And, and, and Jesus comes to a point in John chapter 8, verse 58... Where he looks them dead in the eye and he says, before Abraham was, I am. There's no question in that context and in what Jesus said that he is particularly identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. If you remember... The God of Moses, when he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses asked uh, in that discussion with God, whom shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them that I am sent you. I am the great I am. And Jesus in that moment in John, and I believe many other times in John, you can identify I am statements that, uh, that we understand Jesus declaring himself in As one with the Father. In fact, in other places, he just simply comes out and says, I and the Father are one. But in this I am statement, in John chapter 8, verse 58, there is no question whatsoever that Jesus is identifying himself directly with the God of the Old Testament. I am. And if you have any question about that, look at how the Jewish authorities reacted. Because what they did is they picked up rocks and started throwing them at him. They wanted to kill him for for him blaspheming God in their view. And so John, he's going to write particular stories. He's going to give us particular signs. He's going to give us particular actions and words of Christ so that we might know two things. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise from the very beginning. That he is the Messiah. And that Jesus is God. God, that as he walked on this earth, he was fully God. And so uh, those signs are going to identify who Christ is. So then we move forward to John's purpose. John's purpose is not just that he declares that Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is God. God's purpose, or John's purpose is that you and I might believe in the Messiah the Son of God, and not just believe that he is those things, but that we might believe in in a way that we put our faith and trust in the Christ, the Son of God. And so John uses the the, the word for uh, belief that we often translate faith. It's the idea that, that we come to a place where we put our full faith and trust in Christ, and that when we do that, we, there, there's an end, there's an outcome to that. But his first declaration here is, I've written these signs, I've written these things down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. What is belief? That's kind of what we're getting to here. What, John, what does he really want us to believe about that or believe into in that? One of the best examples of that is just this simple idea of what it takes to trust and that can be illustrated in, in many different ways. But one of, the, one of the places we did not visit on this year's trip, but I was reminded of it, is as we uh, cut across from uh, the mountains up by Leadville, Colorado, down toward Colorado Springs, and, and I saw the cutoff that went back through to Cripple Creek, and it went back to a town called Canyon City. Uh, just outside of Canyon City is a suspension bridge Uh, that hangs over what is referred to as the Royal Gorge. When it was built, it was the highest suspension bridge in the world. Uh, Since then, there's one in China that's been built higher. It's about uh, 970 feet or so uh, from the suspension bridge to the ground. Now, the last time that I tried to visit that suspension bridge the city of Canyon City has turned that whole area into an amusement park. And so you can't even go to the bridge unless you pay an admission fee that's about the same as paying an admission fee to Six Flags. And they've got Ferris wheels and all kinds of other things going on there. And so the last time we went, we actually just walked around and looked through the fence so that we could see the bridge. When I was a kid, that wasn't the case. When I was a kid, there was a little bitty uh, curio shop there and you can just walk out on the bridge. And in fact, when I was a kid, You could still drive across that bridge. And so I I, I remember as a seven, eight-year-old boy walking out on that bridge, and I'm looking down, and and I'm not afraid of heights, but I'm looking down at at that drop, almost a thousand feet, when I feel the bridge begin to sway because there's a pickup truck driving across that bridge that's a suspension bridge made with lumber across it. And so you feel that bridge begin to sway and it, you know it gets a little exciting, you know, kind of stirs your uh, adrenaline a little bit. But trust is more than saying, I believe that that bridge will hold me and that pickup truck up. See, I can say that all day long. Trust is walking out on the bridge and putting my life on the line because if that bridge were to fail, I would fall And plummet to my death. Ultimately, that's a pretty good illustration of what it means to put our trust in Christ. I can say I believe that he is so and so. But it's only when I believe into him. Put my full faith and trust in him. That I gain the next thing that John wants us to see. That I gain life. So John says, these things I've written... For this purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God and that in believing in him, you might have life. Jesus is our hope for life. And John sets out on the task of making this point once again from the very beginning. John chapter one, verse four. John writes when he's talking about the Word, who was God, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. In Christ, we have life. And in fact, John is gonna argue, as a part of his thesis throughout this gospel, that without Christ, you don't have real life. He's gonna argue that without Christ, you are spiritually dead. Certainly you have physical breath, but you are not spiritually alive outside of a relationship with Christ, believing in Christ and putting your full faith and trust in him. I used an illustration last night when I introduced this message and encouraged people to join us today on Facebook. Because July the 29th, Wednesday, is the day that we will celebrate Katie's birthday. We'll remember her birth. And, and uh, certainly on July the 29th of 1989, Katie was born into this world and took her first breaths and certainly entered into the world in a way and with a body that would change our lives. It would change the trajectory of our lives. It would change a lot of things about our lives. But at that moment, Katie merely had physical life. About six years later, almost seven years later, for Carrie, I mean, for Katie, Katie, after being introduced for, from birth almost to Christ, put her full faith and trust in Christ as her savior. And in fact, uh, we were in a revival that night, and I, uh, that week, and I remember uh, on, a, it was probably Monday night when Katie and Carrie both came down the aisle together and I met them at the front, and I, as a good Baptist pastor, told them that they were too young. They didn't fully understand what it meant uh, to uh, ask forgiveness of their sins and, and to be saved, so they needed to go back to their seats. So they did. The next night, they came down again, and this time Katie looked me in the eye and said, Dad, we know and we want Jesus to be our savior. So I grabbed one of the deacons and I said, Ted, Uh, Would you be as hard on them as possible? (laughs) And ask them all the questions. And, you know, after he got done counseling them, he came back and he said, they're not any question. They both know what they're doing. They want to put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior. And so I believe at that time, Katie gained spiritual life. She was born again as Jesus is gonna tell Nicodemus in John chapter three. She had already been born of water and the blood, but she was born of the Spirit when the Holy Spirit invaded her and she became a child of God. And at that moment, she gained true, spiritual, eternal life. And John is going to argue throughout the gospel of John that there is no other place that you can gain true life outside of Christ because life is in Jesus. Eternal life only comes from one place. So John 3, 16, in that discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in Remember we talked about what it truly means to believe and trust, who believe in him will have eternal life. And so there's a particular kind of true eternal life that comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ and only comes in a relationship with Christ. Jesus will go on continually and John will choose stories to illustrate this. In John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so it's not just about an eternal life, an afterlife. The life that Christ wants to give us is a life that's filled with meaning and purpose. It's an eternal quality. It's a different kind of life that's different than anything that this world has to offer. And That that kind of life, that quality of life, and that length of life is only found in Christ. So John's purpose is that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you might have life. But it certainly gets even better than that. Because then you have Jesus when his good friend Lazarus dies. And he goes to meet with Mary and Martha and and to join them in that grief. And they don't know what's coming. And so as Jesus meets with them, he's, he's answering questions. And he says, do you not believe in the resurrection One of the sisters says, oh, certainly I believe uh, that, that one of these days everybody will be raised again. And Jesus says these words in John 11, 25 and 26. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even if he dies, will live. And it's as though Jesus rephrases himself And he says, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Why? Because Jesus is life. And that's our hope. When we've put our full faith and trust in Christ, we never die. If we live and believe in him, we simply will take our last breath on this earth and the next aware moment that we have is in the presence of the Lord. Paul says to be absent the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I believe it was Dr. Rainey who, who had, had used this phrase and has stuck with me all these years, that when a Christian takes his last breath, he doesn't die, he lives. He simply goes from one presence with the Lord to another. We go out of this body into the presence of God in a different way that we don't fully understand and we won't fully understand until we take that last breath here and step into his presence. Why why can we have such confidence? Because we don't have to know all of the details. We don't have to know exactly what it's gonna look like. We don't have to understand the timing. All we have to know is the person of Jesus Christ because he is the life. And Jesus emphasized that again the last night. He's in the upper room right before he leaves the upper room to walk with the disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane in that great speech over three chapters from chapter 14 to chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. at the the beginning of John chapter 14, he understands that his disciples are beginning to get worried about what's about to happen and, and their, he, their hearts are being stirred and so he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so he gives them this instruction and, and you come to Thomas there who says in John chapter 14, verse five, but Jesus, how will we know where you're going? We don't even know the way. And Jesus very simply said, I am the way, the truth in the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So John wants us to understand in the words that he chose to record, and he could have recorded books and books and books of Jesus's words, but he wants us to understand what is most important, that Jesus is our source of life and he is our hope of getting there. It's all about Jesus and a relationship with him. And so John's purpose is that we might believe in Christ and in believing in him we might have life ultimately as i as i look at the group that's here and of course not knowing who who has joined us online my prayer would be that you have that certainty that through your study of God's Word and through your understanding of the good news that Jesus has brought us, that you have that assurance that not only do you believe Jesus is who he says he is, but you have believed in him. You have put your faith and trust in Christ for your eternal life. That you put your faith and trust in Christ for your spiritual life. That you're alive in Christ today because you have read and believed and trusted in Christ. Now I understand that trust doesn't come easy and in fact sometimes we as believers even struggle with our faith. Many suggest that John wrote this gospel not to the lost so that they might be saved. Many believe that he wrote it to the church So that we might be encouraged in our belief. I believe his gospel serves both purposes. Because I believe that in the gospel of John, as we as believers are encouraged in our our understanding of who Jesus is. Like an apologetic for Jesus. that, that, That we grow in our faith. But I also believe that anyone who honestly reads the gospel of John and has an open heart can come to faith in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Now it's interesting that this thesis in John chapter 20 verses 30 and 31 immediately follows on the heels of one who struggled with his faith, of one who struggled to believe. The one who I mentioned from John chapter 14 verse 5 is found here in John chapter 20 verses 24 through 29. The immediate paragraph, the, the paragraph that comes immediately before the thesis, Thomas was not there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples in his resurrected body. And so Thomas shows up uh, uh, there and, and, and he's struggling with it. They say, We've seen the Lord. And he says, Man, if I don't see the marks of the nails, I'm not going to believe. So poof, Jesus steps in the room. And Jesus <laughs> walks in. Scripture actually says a week later, his disciples were door. Thomas was in, with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he looked to Thomas. And he said, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. That's the response that you and I need to have. There are times when our faith may wane, but when we pause and we take into account the truth of God's word, when we understand even what John has written here, our confession ought to be, my Lord and my God. Woe is me forever doubting. He truly is the Son of God. He truly is the Messiah. He's the one whom God sent to save me. And so in Christ, we have life. How does that that apply? Let's take the next step then because if this was John's purpose for writing his gospel, I would contend with you that this ought to be your purpose and my purpose in life. Our purpose ought to be to live in such a way and use words so that those around us might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, they might have life. God has given us purpose. When we came to faith in Christ and we became a part of his family, we are united together in purpose. Our purpose ought to track right along with John's purpose. Everything that we choose to do ultimately in our life ought to be pointed toward this, that those around us, first our family, our immediate family, those who live in our household, then our extended family, and then our friends and those who we engage at work, and then our community. Our purpose ought to be that they might know that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is the one who was sent to save. He is the Christ, and that by believing in him, they might have life. That ought to be our purpose. There's a lot of things that we can engage in in life, as I mentioned earlier. Some things exclude other things. You know, Susan and I had a great trip up to Wyoming and visited the Teton Mountains and Yellowstone. We would love to go back sometime to Jasper and Banff, Canada. I think the most beautiful mountain drive in the world is between Banff and Jasper, Canada, certainly in North America. Canada wouldn't let us in, so... Okay, But we can't go to the Tetons, which is Susan's favorite mountain range, and go up to Banff and Jasper, which is my favorite, at the same time. You have to make a choice. And oftentimes, our choices in life are established by our purposes. And in fact, I'll be real honest, on on this trip, I've gotten to go to Yellowstone and the Tetons a lot. Y'all know that. The last several years, the Lord's allowed me to take a trip in the fall, and I've taken somebody different with me every time. So I've gotten to enjoy that. So many times on this trip, I would look to Susan and say, what would you like to do today? My purpose was that she might get to see what she got to see, or what she wanted to see, that she might get to do what she wanted to do so that she could enjoy the trip just as I have so many times. And that was my purpose. My purpose... Sometimes, well, in every case, my purpose would establish my plan. My purpose that I set before me so that she could see what she wanted to see would change or establish the plans that we would have for that day. In fact, honestly, I didn't want to establish the plan until until I knew what she wanted to see. And so the purpose... Was, was specific. If we have a specific purpose in mind, then we can construct our lives and plan our lives to move forward along that line of purpose. Like I said, there's all kinds of things we can do in life. There's all kinds of directions we can go in life. But if God's called you to the worship ministry, Corey, then that that purpose to which God has called you is going to direct the decisions that you make. It's going it's to change where you go to school. It's going to change what classes you choose to take. It's going to change what you do in your summers sometimes because you understand that there's a purpose that God's given you in life. And, and there's all kinds of worthy, noble purposes. You'll hear people will say uh, things like this. I, I want to I live life in such a way that, that I leave an inheritance to my kids and grandkids I, I, wanna, I wanna set things up so that I leave stuff behind from there's a generation that, that, that was very important to that their kids would start out with more than they did. That's a noble purpose. There's nothing wrong with that purpose. But that purpose is very short-sighted. Leaving behind material goods as something that's only gonna rot and oftentimes gonna be misused is not on the same level as the purpose that they might know Christ and find life in him. Others might say, uh, I want to leave the world a better place. It's my purpose in life, is to leave the world a better place. I'd ask people, turn on the news and ask how that's been working out for you. Right? I know a lot of people that have said they wanted to leave the world a better place and, and, and have passed away, and I'm not sure that it's worked out. Maybe you leave a small part of the world a better place, but I don't know how you're going to leave the world a better place. I'm not that big that I can have that kind of influence. And ultimately, that's short-sighted. Anyway, I'm going to leave my community a better place. It's a great noble purpose, but it's not eternal. There's one purpose that you and I have been called to as followers of Jesus Christ, as a part of his family. And that is that through us, others might know and believe that Christ is the promised one from God, and he is the son of God. And that by, by believing in his name, they might have life. If you achieve that purpose, if even one person is impacted by your life and your words to the extent that they come to know Christ as their personal savior, one person, you've made a difference that lasts for eternity. Something that matters beyond the grave. So my contention is that John's purpose expressed in his thesis for this gospel ought to be your purpose and my purpose. And certainly we'll get to flesh that out more as we walk through this book over the next several months. If you are here today, as we've talked about in, in this auditorium, we're going to, have a time of worship here in just a moment. Corey is going to come back up and lead us in a, in a beautiful hymn of, of worship and commitment. If, you have, uh, if you're not sure that, if, that you have found life in Christ, that you put your full faith and trust in him, that you have eternal life, I want to plead with you to get in touch with someone. Reach out through our website. Talk to me after the service. Or, or make an appointment to come sit down and visit. I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're joining us online, certainly you can reach out to us through the prayer request area or through the contact page on our website. Kevin or I or one of the other ministers here or even one of our deacons would love to talk to you about what it means to put your faith in Christ in such a way that you gain eternal life and that you experience not just a future with God, but a new kind of life with purpose in this world. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me if you're here in this auditorium as Corey comes and leads us in this hymn of worship.